Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimer. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast. And don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, brianclayman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Hello, folks, and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. It's episode 26, and uh, I think we're going to have a fun one today. It's going to have a lot of uh, engagement and a lot of discussion. Uh, We're going to continue on with our last topic, which was on perception and perspective. There's been some uh, events, incidents over the last, uh, well, since that episode that have really sort of highlighted some some of the points that we were making in that episode and I know that Brian is very hot and eager to get going on this one today because of those events. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Clayman, my sidekick for this podcast. And uh, let's get started with what keeps you up at night. Okay, well, uh, you know, the first thing that sort of, uh, it, it, it uh, until I saw you this evening, it really was a top of mind. But thanks a lot for dressing for our new YouTube <laughs> video podcast. I mean, you're getting very, very comfortable, said Rody. I just want to remind you, it's no longer just audio, but you we're know, also on video. This is so, all I can afford from our sponsors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, if we had proper talent, <laughs> maybe we'd right. be able to sponsor some clo- a clothing allowance. But having said that, what keeps me up at night? You know, the um, and I think we're going to talk a lot about this in our session today, but... The tragic events that happened in London on Sunday passed. And what really drives me crazy is the opportunistic uh, groups that will take advantage of a situation like this and that don't let facts or, or, or reality get in the yeah. way, but ponder to emotions. And I'm thinking of uh, one of our favorite politicians, the Prime Minister, and mm-hmm. also, surprisingly, the Premier, uh, Premier Ford of Ontario. And the prime minister at the vigil, and it almost every, and, and Premier Ford also at the vigil, and almost every time since that he's been on uh, in front of the camera, talks about how horrific the event was. And I agree. I am just honestly heartbroken at the thought that a family, any family, would be slaughtered the way these poor people were, and there's a nine-year-old left behind. So, you, you know, this truly is a tragic event. But the man lacks so much sincerity. You know, he is yeah. so insincere. And the case in point is that he, even in the face of this type of tragedy, he's pandering to his base. Yeah. He talks about how this was a terrorist incident. Well, Prime Minister, hold on a second. Do you actually know what terrorism is? Terrorism isn't a peace of mind. It's, it, it's a law. It's, it, 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 there's a bar that has to be met. And, you know, I don't know any of the details about this other than what I've heard on uh, radio and TV. And I would suggest the prime minister doesn't know because the police have been very coy. And the intelligence community and the RCMP counterterrorism people have been very holding the cards close to their chest. A surprise that they've told us as much as they told us. But just in case the prime minister is listening, the Criminal Code of Canada, which I think he's heard of, Section 83.01 of the Colonel Code deals with terrorism. And it says that uh, terrorism is an act or a mission in or outside of Canada that is committed, A, in whole or part, for a political, religious, or ideological purpose, objective, or cause, plus, or in addition, in whole or in part, with the intention of intimidating the public or a segment of the public with regard to security, including, and it goes on with economic security yep. and, and peace. And Okay, so clearly, you know, if we skip to, to section B, which says in whole or in part with the intention of intimidating the public or a segment of the public, you could say that this family, because they were Muslim and because perhaps they were targeted because they were Muslim, uh, section B of the act, or uh, uh, this part of the act was met. 
But section B only occurs after section A has been met. Section A is in whole or in part for a political, religious, or ideological purpose, objective, or cause. Well, I don't know what the Prime Minister and the Premier of Ontario knows, but that hasn't been established. That may or may not be the case, but everything I've read about this person is that he is not known to police, there is no terrorism nexus, there is no social media presence, he just seems like a really disturbed puppy. The second thing that's driving me crazy is uh, the leader of the NDP party, Jagmeet Singh, mm -hmm. and I'm probably going to get this wrong, and you can correct me, Mr. Sedroni, because we talked about this earlier today, and I think we're both outraged, but he said words to the fact that Canada is racist, and if you wear a hijab in a Canadian city, you will, not might, not perhaps, you yeah. will be killed. Now, I understand the dramatic, I, I understand the point he was trying to make, but I really take offense with the dramatic effect of the words, because words matter. The Prime Minister's words matter, and Jagmeet Singh's words matter. So that's really what is driving me crazy and keeping me up. And I know we're going to talk in more detail. I would love to disagree with you, you know, in one of the uh, sessions we do, because you're happy, and you're lucky, and I'm angry. Okay? Yes. But I, I, I think, once again, we're going to agree more than we disagree. What do you say? Well, I, th I agree. <laughs> I think we're going to agree on this. I think you'd be crazy not to agree. I, I think the problem is, as you pointed out, that, you know, bring it back to what we're going to talk about in this session, is the creation of, of perception, perceptions that aren't right, aren't accurate. And, you know, in the previous uh, episode, we talked about having those different perceptions by, by chance, by your, the way you grew up in life or, you know, the, the position you happen to occupy at that time, that number nine example or number six example that you had, right? It was depending on where you were, it was still true. Um, and so there's one level of sort of misinformation and you can excuse that because, hey, I didn't know it was a nine. I was looking at it from a six. But in this case, you know, to your point, you're talking about politicians who are, quite frankly, disgustingly taking advantage of a, a tragic event for their own benefit. And, and that's what's really ir irking me. You got guys like Jagmeet out there talking about what a racist country. If Canada is a country that's racist, oh my God, where's everyone else rank? Because I think we're one of the best countries out there, absolutely hands down. And to say that people are going to get killed because they go outside and dress differently, that's ingenuous, uh, disingenuous, and it fuels the other side. Those nut bars on the other side who say, you see, there they are, they're making up the BS. You see, they're, they're, they're talking out of their, their asses, that kind of stuff. And it justifies those crazy points of view. So that's that's my, my issue with, with statements like Jagmeet Singh is saying. The other part that I that I wanted to touch on was the imam, and I, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, but I saw the, the vigil that night. He spoke right after Jagmeet. And this guy, now what, we go back to perception and perspective. Whether he truly believes this, or he just doesn't know, both of them end up, in my view, being very dangerous because he accused CSIS and the RCMP of not focusing their resources and expertise in the red areas and basically said, you know, they don't even know that white supremacists are a threat to this country. And sorry, pal, to anybody who's listening, we've been to those CSIS meetings, Nothing, and we're not talking out of school here, this is all published in public documents, white papers that CSIS puts out every year, for the last 10 years at least, if not 15 or more, they've continually harped on the fact that white supremacy in this country is more of a realistic danger than terrorism was. Even at the height of ISIS, they were still calling out white supremacy as the real threat to Canada. So to sit there on, on a national TV program and say that they're not doing their job, somebody needs to call bullshit on that and point the fingers at the freaking politicians that we're talking about who, could, who chose to ignore that, that advice from their experts and intelligence agencies. Well, one of the first things I'm going to do after this session, after this uh, video broadcast, is I'm going to contact the London police because they got to talk to those people because they seem to know that it's white supremacists that are terrorists. They seem to know stuff that the police don't know, or at least the police are not telling us. The second thing, uh, problem I've got, is by the Prime Minister calling this a terrorist event, okay, that means the accused is a terrorist. Well, there's a concept in Canada, and I'm not a lawyer, but you're innocent till proven guilty type thing. You're entitled to a free trial. You're entitled to a robust investigation. The prime minister has already convicted this guy as a terrorist. Yeah. Look, I just don't know. Maybe he is. 
But I'll wait till the facts come out. But by him doing what he's done, he's really brought the potentially the administration of justice in dis disrepute and really has set up the trial when it gets to trial for a mistrial. Because yeah. when you've got the prime minister of the country making statements like this, where's the presumption of innocence? Like it or not, that's how our system works. Okay, yeah. and that you got to play the game by the rules. We've now given the defense uh, a card to say. I can't get a fair trial because yeah. the prime minister and everyone listens to the, that listens to the prime minister believes that my client is a terrorist or according to the imam or Jagmeet Singh, a white supremacist. Yeah. Well, yeah. how do we know that? And the other thing, point three, that drives me absolutely crazy is, as you said, we've worked very closely over the years with uh, the RCMP counter-terror people, the CSIS people. The Toronto police and the uh, all the big police forces, their terrorism teams and their intelligence teams, and these guys are good. And to say that uh, this subject was not on the radar, well, I got to tell you something. I'm not on the radar. And you know why I'm not on the radar? Because there's nothing on social media that suggests yeah. I'm a, a nut bar or a threat. There's nothing uh, in my. Uh, uh, I haven't been arrested. I'm not yeah. going to police. So. For them to say that CSIS didn't do their job because they weren't watching this guy, why would they have been? And quite honestly, also, if you want CSIS to watch every one of us, okay, you're advocating for a police state. And honestly, I don't want to live in that kind of a country or society. I want the authorities to watch the people that need to be watched. I want the government to fund the uh, security apparatus. So they've got the money, they've got the expertise and the resources to do that. But I don't want them to arbitrarily spy on all of us. And the fourth thing I want to say is the Privacy Commissioner of Canada just today came out and said the RCMP broke the law when they used that American company that really harvests uh, uh, facial uh, from, from social media, okay? Stuff yeah. that's publicly out there. And all they did was they harvest it, they make it available to their clients, which was the RCMP and a few other police services who have s since stopped using it. And they said that it's an invasion of people's privacy. Look, I'm not the privacy expert. I'm not a judge. I'm not a lawyer. I just don't think that when you put it out there on social media that you have any expectation of privacy. But I understand where he's coming from. We do not want to live in a state where we're spied on easily. So then Jagmeet Singh and that Iman, and again, I don't, I forget his name. I, I can't remember his name, yeah. But for people to say things like that, be careful what you ask for. Because a lot of people that have come to Canada, that have contributed to Canada, escape those those types of regimes. That's not the type of country that Canada is, nor is it the type of country I want to live in. Nor, you know, bringing it back to what we're about, about security, security for our clients, about security programs. That's not what security is. Security is looking at the threats, doing a risk assessment, say that, you know, uh, laptop thefts are a problem, assaults in a parking garage are a problem, but not looking at everyone with shifty eyes that walks into your property or your business as a potential threat. Like, that's not the way business operates. It's not the way democracies operate. Yeah, and, and I just, before we go into that uh, perception discussion in more detail, the only thing I, wa I want to add to to what's been said there, I mean, by, by, by no means uh, either one of us would ever suggest that this guy deserves a break. He's a piece of garbage. Yeah. Uh, and I don't care if he's crazy or whatever. I don't care what the excuse is. To me, the guy should be just taken care of. The old days we used to execute him. That's the solution in my book. The problem, the dangerous problem, I think, is with the way it's being managed by politicians in particular. When you start calling things terrorists, then everything becomes terrorism. And there's, a, there's also a distinction which we haven't talked about. You know, the, what is a terrorist tactic and what is a terrorist group? And there's lots of people using terrorist tactics. Doesn't make them terrorists, right? Uh, the guy in uh, uh, on Young Street driving down the street there—that was terrorist tactics. Yes. But he wasn't a terrorist group, right? Uh, they're a bit of a fringe night, night, uh, you know, um, nut bars, but they certainly aren't a terrorist group in the traditional sense. Um, so we have to be careful because when we start labeling things that aren't terrorists terrorists, then it starts to spread the definition out, and all of a sudden. What was normally, you know, a, ma a, a murderer or intentional, um, uh, well, like a murderer or, or um, 
uh, hate crimes, yeah. they get lumped into terrorist uh, crimes. And that's well, not going to benefit anybody. And, and, you know, all it is, especially in this particular case, is an emotional release. I understand that people are hurting. I understand that people are angry. I am hurting. You're hurting. We're both angry. Okay. I mean, you, you know, I want justice, whatever yeah. that is, whatever that turns out to be. If the guy is mentally ill, mentally unstable, then we'll deal with that. If the guy formed the intent, we'll deal with that. But I got to tell you, th this rush to label like terror, terrorism is more important than murder, which yeah. is less important than a hate crime. Like, we got to get over ourselves. We, 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 you know, and I, and I said this years ago that when we kept, tinkering with the criminal code and when we changed rape to sexual assault and when we said uh murder now there were hate crimes okay so if you're murdered and it was because of your color or your sexual orientation that's now a hate crime it just complicates things i understand that people want to they want justice but we got to be really and by the way i you know i think it's right that we have these levels uh, in the criminal code yeah. but i think we as civilians we're not the judge, we're not the prosecutors, we're not the jury. We have to let the experts deal with it. If this thing is terrorism, according to the criminal code 83-01, or .01, he'll be charged with terrorism. If, he, if it's not, he won't. If you've got a problem with that, then tell the prime minister and tell our elected officials and we'll change the law. But we can't change the law on the fly yeah. and based on the flavor of the day or the flavor of the month. We're hostage to what we have and we have to work with the tools that we have. And that's the part that people don't understand. You know, the, the, the people's per, uh, uh, perception is based on their perspective and people are sitting in their living rooms and saw what happened in London and their perspective was uh, there before the grace of God go I, you know, I'm a white guy. And the idea of my family being mowed down, that affects me. If I was a Muslim or a visible minority or my sexual orientation was different, I'd even be more fearful, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's the perspective we come from. The perception has to align with the reality because, unfortunately, perception becomes reality. Yep. And during uh, uh, Nazi Germany, uh, the, the, the perspective of the, uh, the government was that Jews were evil. And the perception, you know, the perception was that we have to rid uh, society of them. So perspective and perception become reality. We've got to be careful how we use those terms, what we do with the terms and the labels that we put on people. One more thing, by the way, that really just came back because I heard some guy on the radio talking about that. Our prime minister was fast to say that Omar Khadr was a young person who was manipulated, therefore he was mentally incapable to be a terrorist and not only was he mentally incapable to be a terrorist although he was in a war zone trying to kill americans okay yeah. but we have to pay him 10 million dollars but this guy is a terrorist you, you know i don't know maybe in a year we're going to apologize to this guy and give him 11 million dollars but we're just all over the board with with, yeah. with our political leaders and it does no well because there's a lot of you know there's most of us are in the middle in the center but there's nuts on the right and there's nuts on the left. And this type of talk just inflames these idiots. Yeah. And it forces people who are typically, uh, you know, not not necessarily concerned, but normal, what you ever define as normal, but everyday, you know, working, taxpaying Canadians who are middle of the road, it starts to force those people to pick a side. And then it becomes really, it can get really ugly. And then we're seeing that in the States. There is no middle ground. It's yeah. either you're, you're with or against them. And, and it's just, I mean, turn on the news and you see for yourself the kind of nut, nutty stuff that's going on down there. But we're starting to see it here, too. I'll, I'll tell you quickly one other thing I saw today, which really, you know, it really got me upset, not enraged, but certainly it's an indicator of where we're going. And I just don't think it's very, it doesn't speak well for us. Um, and that's this commercial I heard. Um, and I, I don't remember the group, man, my memory must be going, but um, I can't remember the group that was sponsoring the uh, commercial, but it was about Metrolinks. And Metrolinx setting up a new uh, rail yard oh, for their trains. Lovington Park. Okay, yes. so I don't know if you've heard the commercial from that, no. but basically it's and it says it. It's not like I'm I'm suspecting that's what they're trying to say. They actually say that you know we have to stop systemic, um, not racism. It was something else. Systemic um, genocide. No. Yeah. Well, no, but it was that, along that lines, right? So, so my point is, 
here's Metrolinks, which we'd like to think, you know, hopefully our, our perception on this is correct, but typical government uh, or quasi-government company, they've done their homework, they've done their studies, they didn't just pick that, that area for the sake yeah. of picking it, and that they've picked it for a reason, a legitimate reason. We'd like to believe that. I, I hope that that's the case. And then to, uh, to arbitrarily just throw that all aside and start oh. basing it on because we're poor or because we don't have money or because there's 30,000 people that want to stay here and, and throw all the rest of that out, out, the, out the window and claim that it's because of systemic racism or whatever it is, to me, that's, that's really setting us up for an ugly future because anybody can claim that. Yeah, today, and, you know, today it's systemic. Tomorrow, I, I want to say, well, I don't like my neighbor putting that up there because you know he's it, it offends me as an ex-Italian. Like yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you, you know, for those uh, of our listeners and viewers that uh, don't know Toronto, Flemington Park is a neighborhood in Toronto which is economically challenged, depressed. Yeah, depressed. A lot of new Canadians. There's people of color, and so to your point, I didn't hear this commercial, but I'm not surprised. So. People have a perspective that this is a racial thing and they're just taking advantage of this community. Whereas I would like to think the Metrolinx is not a racist organization. Yeah. They've done all sorts of feasibility studies. The proximity to the downtown core makes it an ideal location for a train yard. I think it's based on uh, function and, and practicality. However, I mean, you know, perhaps they didn't look at the fact that they are displacing people. They're going to have trouble to reestablish themselves. That's a real point. But to call that racism, I mean, you know, if we use what Jagmeet Singh said at the vigil, that means that this is a continuing genocide of people that are not white, that are not either white Protestant or French Catholic that founded this country, okay? And it's just ridiculous. I mean, you know, there's their side, my side, and the truth in the middle. Yeah. And somehow we are just so polarized and we stop looking at the truth in the middle. You, you talked about Americans. You know, one thing I always admired about the U.S. is no matter their difference, Republican, Democrat, Independent, Southerner, uh, New Yorker, Californian, they were Americans first at their core, and yeah. then they had the nuance. And Canadians, you know, we were like that for a while, and then we stopped, for, we've, we forgot what it is to be a Canadian. I mean, yeah. we're welcoming, okay, and I think that's what makes us unique, and that's one of our strengths, and we're a melting pot, and I think that's one of our strengths. But we are just like, I just did some, I, I just made supper for the family, and I, I'm an amateur chef, and I sliced and diced some vegetables to put in the casserole. Well, we're slicing and dicing Canada. And when you slice and dice Canada, okay, it's one thing to be welcoming. But when you forget who you are and why you exist, you cease to be a country. And, yeah. and, 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 and that Metrolinks example is a great example. I think rather than calling them racist, there should have been, hey, you know, were there not consultations? Yeah. Did you not go to the consultations? If you weren't happy, why wasn't there a pr press release then? I, government never works quickly. A project that the private sector could do in a year takes them 10 years. So only now you're putting out this commercial once it's approved? I don't know. People are just so focused on their own individual needs and don't think of the greater good. And yeah. again, I, I don't know that it, you know, it needs to be at Flemington Park. And I don't know, maybe Metrolinx did miss that. But I don't believe for a second it was racist. You know, it's the flavor of the month. It's the residential schools, Metrolinks, to hell with everyone. Listen, yeah. you know, to equate, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but the residential school fiasco, which is the most horrible thing that I've experienced and heard of in years, to now insinuate the Metrolinks is doing this because they're people that are not as advantaged as the mainstream, it's just ridiculous. We're shooting ourselves in the foot. Yep, and like I say, it sets up for... for dangerous uh, uh, dangerous standards going forward if, if they're prepared to, to go down that road it's going to it's going to get ugly real quick um, you said something interesting well interesting it's part of the discussion you said Metrolinks may have failed to see their perspective um, and I think that that I, I wanted to touch on this concept because we talked about bringing it up during this call but the whole thing about red teaming and what we what what we've called red teaming um, and for those who, who are listening who may not be familiar with it, but basically it's a concept uh, in terms of strictly security stuff, you would in, in basic in the basic sort of example, you would have a guy test your security guards 
um, you know, try and get into the building and see if you get stopped, if they get questioned, that sort yeah. of thing, to, to test the robustness you, you, you of the program. That, that's you look at it from the point of view from the eyes of the bad guy. So yeah. if you're protecting a building, let's say you go across the street and say, if I'm a bad guy, how would I attack the building? Yes, that's red yeah. team. Yeah, so taking that same concept, you can really apply that to almost everything in terms of when we start talking about perception. Yeah. Um, and so in this case, it, I mean, there's another example when you talk about Metrolinks from their perspective, you know, everything was great. We did the studies, we did the, the, the tests, we went to the government, we got the papers and everything, but nobody saw the, the or failed yeah. to see the perspective on the other side. So that's sort of what we're talking about today. And the importance of doing red teaming to eliminate these types of issues. So how do we do that? You pretend to be, or you try to put yourself in those other people's shoes, which we all do at some level, but it's crucial as things become uglier and uglier and more polarized, it's even more important to say, you know what, I'm not going to just stick to my point of view. I have to force myself to look at it from the other person's point of view and see what they're going through. If, if that was the case, if that's what was going on in, 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 uh, in most people's minds, the statements that Jagmeet made wouldn't have been said, okay? Because he would have used some of that sensitivity that he has, some of that brain power that he has and think, if I say this, I'm going to make every other... Yeah visible minority basically shit their pants when mm -hmm. really they don't have to, okay? At the end of the day, it's a tragic event. Absolutely. That guy, he should fry. Absolutely. But to say that all of Canada is like that, yeah. that we're amongst the worst well, in the world, that you're going to die because you wear a particular piece of clothing is way offside. And he should have had the perception to see or the perspective of other people, how they would perceive that if you were to say that. Well, you know, I think this is a good point that uh, the graphic we put up last week, the six and nine graphic about, yeah. a Let, let's put that up for a second again, okay? Sure. Okay. Okay. And if you see, you've got uh, on the left side, you've got a six, on the right side, you've got a nine. And that's exactly the point you're talking about. They're both right and they're both wrong. One guy sees the six, the other guy sees the nine. But if they look at it from the perspective of the other, they have a more robust uh, understanding of the situation. It's sort of like a red team exercise. Don't look at it from your perspective. Look at it from the other guy's perspective. So maybe Metrolinx is guilty of that. And maybe there's an insensitivity. But there's a, you, you know... There's a big difference between insensitivity and yeah. racism. You know, in my younger year, I was really a bit insensitive and ignorant. And, you know, I grew up in the suburbs of Montreal. I, you know, I was in a middle class family. I just thought people that are poor are just lazy. I mean, I had all sorts of stupid ideas. I, you know, I didn't experience a lot of uh, alternate lifestyles and, and, and sexual differences. Yeah. Okay. So I had opinions, but then I grew up and I experienced and I realized I was wrong. I realized that my perspective, I was looking at it from the point of view of the guy on the left, of the six. I started realizing, no, there's another point of view, the yeah. guy on the right, on the nine. And we don't have enough of that. You know, when Prime Minister Fancy Sock says it's a terrorist incident, it might be. But what if this guy is mentally unstable, truly mm -hmm. mentally unstable, just like that guy in Winnipeg? Uh, uh, that uh, killed those people on the Greyhound bus and ate yeah. them, the cannibal guy. He went to jail. He, he, he was found uh, not guilty for reasons of insanity. He's back he out. He was treated. He's back out. He's a productive citizen. Look, I'm not saying that's the case over here. I'm not even advocating that. But what I am saying is that I'm just fed up with the duplicity of our political leaders, lack of sincerity. When it's the Bell Mental Health Week or Day, Everyone is at the telethon and they're crying and we got to take mental health seriously. But when it suits the prime minister to say it's a terrorist attack because his followers, his base are listening, he does that. Sorry, I'm done with that. I don't, you know, that's not, that's not the way I want to. Yeah, so what really is disappointing is that our leaders not just political, but perhaps some of our business leaders and community leaders, there's just a lot of lip service. Again, as I was saying, I don't know what the motives are with the London attack. You know, uh, we probably won't know for a very long time, certainly probably not till before it comes to court. This is in the U.S. It doesn't get released on court TV within three days after the event. Well, they they so, banned it today, right? They put a... Um, oh, did they publication ban? Yeah, yeah. publication ban. Yeah. So, so we have to be patient. We want to know. It's hard to be patient. 
but but you know the other thing is also are we acting in the best interest of society or is it that we realize that we're going to forget in a week or two and you know the prime minister and the people that want to politicize this and capitalize this have to do it now while the the going is good there are so many things that the prime minister has tears in his eyes about until the next session of yeah. uh, uh, you know next meeting he attends with next group of people and maybe what it is is uh, if it uh, if it bleeds it leads that yeah. story they say about the news he's not a dumb man none of them are dumb you know now's the time and he's going to be seeing the lasting impression of that three second three second not two three second soundbite is that he's a caring compassionate person you know you can make the argument depending on your perspective that he's yeah. an opportunist yeah you know and, and that's just very disappointing because you know no one has no one's in it for the long haul anymore you know no, it's what can you do for me today right now you're talking with uh, uh, Phil Gursky, the former uh, CSIS analyst, he was a guest and uh, uh, guy's a brilliant guy, uh, one of Canada's spies who's now retired and very opinionated. And as you said, we've been to CSIS on several occasions. We've worked closely with them over our careers. You know, one of the things Phil has always said to us both on the record on our show and off the record is that these things that people are surprised about, government knew. The role yeah. of CSIS is to make sure the political leaders know so that they can maneuver the ship, they can take care of the best interests of the countries. They know that China is a problem. They know that white supremacists are a problem. They know what uh, 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 about those scientists, those Chinese scientists that were working at our Winnipeg oh, lab. lab that took stuff out that were under RCMP investigation. They know this was a problem. They briefed Ottawa, and then they went back to Wu. Wu yeah, Huawei. Going to get where the lab. Wu Yeah, they they know that. So the problem is not our intelligence community or our no. police community. These guys are consummate professionals. Just talk with one of them one day, and they're apolitical. But it drives me crazy, as I'm sure it does them, that their honest assessments are then politicized, and then. You, you have the uh, chief of staff or the premier or the prime minister. How are we going to spin this? How is this going to sound? You know, uh, well, I, and, yeah. Well, and the problem, the problem is that, that there have been incidents where they have dropped the ball or failed. You know, they, they've got their share of idiots just like everybody else has got their share of idiots. Unfortunately, my, my problem or I take issue with one, they just throw up the, you know, the baby with the bathwater type thing because of those uh, few incidents that the whole uh, organization is tainted in, in the same light. And when it comes to this particular case of identifying threats to national security, I think that despite the handcuffs we've put on them, despite the political shenanigans that have undermined the efforts of, of our intelligence agencies, they've still done a damn good job of keeping tabs on some pr pretty critical things that the government has insisted on ignoring. We can go way back to Nortel. Remember, they were a global powerhouse and they were bleeding information that the government was warned about. And what did they do? Well, you know how it is. Hey, things happen. Right? And here we are 10 years later, partners with, with, the, with the country that sponsored those, well, those, those types of actions. 20 years later, but it was a surprise to everyone, but not the intelligence community. Yeah. I got to tell you, the rank and file, you know, Big organizations, okay, the RCMP, CSIS, uh, 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 Cadillac Fairview, uh, GWLRA, they're political by nature. But the rank and file, the people that do the work are really focused, especially on the intelligence side, uh, on doing the right thing for Canada. Uh, I don't know who it was, and I don't want to attribute it to one particular person in case I get it wrong and, mm. and, and they don't want it to come out. However... Uh, this one person uh, from the CSIS world uh, had said that, you know, if it comes from the Americans or the Brits or the Five Eyes, <laughs> the government listens to it. Yeah. If it comes from our <laughs> intelligence people, ah, you guys are just kids. Yeah. They don't listen to it. And we have one of the best militaries and intelligence communities and police services in the world, yet we don't take advantage of it. Yeah. 
just think how demoralizing it must be for the men and women that work you know tirelessly to protect Canada and do the right thing and then get leaders that say well you know we have economic interests with China so we're going to look the other way I'm sorry but you, you know well I'm not, like you say you can't imagine working in those units with that kind of of, of support right like I experienced some of that with uh, with policing when it started to change and you could see the direction it was going with uh, senior management worried more about their careers than they were about doing the actual job and here we are you know 15 years later sure enough that's what's happening guys on the road aren't supported at all they, they're all in the, in the dumps I don't know any of them that are positive about the job and the media hates them the public hates them I don't know who they're going to find to police the, this this neighborhood you know in five years time um, so that's that's the the ultimate result that's what it's going to be if, if people think that the, the things are going to get better uh, by taking some of the actions we've been doing all these uh, trends, flavors of the month, as you call them, in the long term, the damage that they're going to cause, I think, is going to be uh, significantly um, costly for us to recover from. Well, let, let's talk about that policing example for uh, for a moment. Let's put it under the lens of perspective and perception, okay? And you would think if you were looking at, uh, uh, you know, America and what's happening in America, we somehow think Canada is the same. But you would think looking at uh, policing in America, uh, the perspective of most Americans is that they are criminal, they're rogue, they're illegal, okay? But the, there's, a, there's a, I believe, the vast majority that are pro-law enforcement that support it, but they don't talk as loud as yeah. the other side, okay? So the perspective is dependent on what side of the fence you sit on. And the people that demonstrate, I had this discussion with my son often during COVID, and he was saying that the government is losing the confidence of the people. Yeah. Look at what happened at Young Dundas Square with the demonstration, 2,000 people on the weekend. And what I try and explain to him, and he never agrees, and I don't know that I'm right, he could be right for all <laughs> I know. He's your son, that's his job. That's his job, and he does it very well. <laughs> but, you know, it's a matter of perspective. I say, but Dan, there are like 15 million people in Ontario, there were 2,000 that showed up. And he says, okay, then where are the 2,000 that are supporting the government showing up? And I'm saying because those, uh, your perception is that they don't exist. The perspective of people that are law and order and support government, you know, in order, they don't demonstrate. At yeah. the G20, great example, you alluded to last week, you know, that was uh, quite the experience. Yep. And I would say the first a couple of days into the weekend, it were decent people. I didn't really yeah. agree with them, but there were trade unionists, there were teachers, there were your neighbors and my neighbors that were demonstrating, okay? But what is the legacy of the G20? The Toronto got burned down by a handful of idiots, yeah. but they become the re they have become the symbol, the reality, the, the perception of the G20. So, you know, it's really important, especially for a security leader, You've got to look at things from two perspectives. And that red teaming example is a great uh, uh, illustration. You've got to look at what do I need to do to protect the organization? And what is the bad guy? What are the vulnerabilities that the bad guy sees that he can exploit? I, I, I just did a proposal to a client earlier this week about a threat risk assessment. And I said exactly that. I said, you know, they were saying, well, how come it's so expensive? And I said, because I'm worth it. And when they stopped laughing and choking on their uh, their coffee, I said, because it's it's a comprehensive process where you can't just go and hire a security guard and say you have security. You've got to understand the threat. And to understand the threat, you have to understand the organization and what your tolerance for threat is. And then you've got to look at what are the vulnerabilities that exist and how can they be exploited. And unless you do that, you don't have, unless you take a holistic approach, you're not going to be able to secure the property. Well, it's the same thing with what happened in London. It's the same thing about uh, changes that might be necessary in law enforcement. You have to take a holistic approach, not a juggling seeing approach that all cops are bad. I heard during this debate here in Toronto, some uh, uh, person that was anti-police, and it was just a citizen that was quoted, saying that I'm worried for my child to go to school, my, it was a black uh, woman, to go to school that they're going to get shot by police. And and the point is, it was such an outrageous statement, but yeah. that was her perspective. Her, perce her, her perspective 
and her perception. It was her reality. It was a sexy reality. So there's a whole cadre that believes in that. And because no one's looking at the totality, even on the cop-loving side, I mean, there's people that love cops no matter what they do. You know, yeah. and they're going to make uh, excuses for no matter you got to be in the middle. You have to have an open mind. And we talked about it last week. you got to follow the evidence where it leads. You don't start with a theory and say, how do I prove the cops are racist? You look at the data. And does the data illustrate, you, you know, and, and I don't know the answer to this, not, and I don't mean to offend anyone, but there's this presumption that police are trigger-happy trigger yeah. because more black people are shot than white people. And, and I don't have the data in front of me. I think there's two explanations to this. The first explanation is that cops are intrinsically racist. And if you're a black person and you're involved uh, in a police interaction, you have a higher chance of being shot than my son. And that's one possibility. The other explanation might be, and I don't know if this is true, so please don't send nasty notes to me. Maybe people get shot because they were doing something that caused them to... Uh, the police to feel threatened. To respond, my point yeah. being, yeah. My point being that if a police officer stops me and says, "Get out of the car," I'm going to get out of the car. And if I think it's an illegal stop, I'll say, "Officer, what have I done? Get out of the car, or I'll tase you." Well, I got news for you. I'll get out of the car. I also got news for you. I'm going to make that stop end as soon as it can. I'm going to do what I have to do and take my ticket. Then I'm going to call the police precinct. I'm going to call the professional standards people. I'm going to call the staff sergeant. I'm not going to uh, regulate it on the street. I understand why people are scared. I understand why communities are scared. So I'm not giving the police a pass. But I'm just saying that we've got to look at these things from both sides of the fence. I think I talked about it last week. When there's a traffic stop, you know, Luciano Cedroni, that you did nothing. The cop knows he's looking for a guy that just robbed a bank. Yeah. He doesn't know if you're that guy or not. So if you understand that, it may behoove you not to make a sudden move or say something threatening. My son uh, used to work at the airport in the security function, and a lot of people used to joke at the security screening checkpoint. Oh, yeah, I wonder if they're going to find the bomb. Well, that's a crime. And yeah. although you say it as a joke, and you know what, that's something stupid that this guy, Brian Klima, would have said in the past. It's not taken that way. So yeah. I think, you know, people have to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. I think the premier, the prime minister, the, the news media, slow down, take a breath. I know you're going on in an hour. It's 11 o'clock news, but you're not going to have the answers. So just report the facts as they're known. And it's not a fact that this was a terror attack in London. What is the fact is that a decent family was wiped out yeah. and a young boy it doesn't ha is alone in the world. That's a fact. Report on that, not the other stuff. And leave the rest alone. And, and you know, the media really needs to hold themselves to account. That, you know, the government ain't going to go after them, that's for sure. But as, as, uh, as newscasters, and, and you're starting to hear some of them start to ask the questions, to bring those issues forward, but uh, I think the media's got a lot to to answer for. They 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 have been reckless in their coverage of a lot of yeah. these things. They've they've contributed to the paranoia and the hysteria that's out there. And how you can expect to go back or find the middle road um, when all they feed you is the extremes all the time? I just don't see a way back to sanity at this point, right? Like you talked about the traffic stop. Yeah, I mean, we've been there. You you used to do it. I used to do it. People can't relate to a 2 a.m. traffic stop with a tinted-up car with the music blaring and, you know, four or five kids inside, smoke coming out, driving erratically, doing whatever they're doing. This is probably, you know, maybe the 10th or 11th traffic stop I've done for that shift or that block. Um, they've all had some attitude with them. This is the 10th one. So, yeah, I'm approaching that car already amped up, expecting to feel that, to see that. And things are going to go a little rougher, a little quicker because of that perception that I have from those yes. previous stops. And likewise, the guys in the car who are just, in their opinion, they're yeah. just having a good old time. Yeah. They may have had a few drinks. The driver's probably driving them all home. You know, stop being a bunch of clowns. We're going to get in trouble. That kind of conversation's happening. Completely innocent other than having the music playing, which we all did when we were that age, right? And so from their perspective, they're just having a good old day, a good old time. So why is this officer stopping me, right? And you could see just in that simple example, two extreme perceptions of what's going on there. And if they, 
if the guys in the car get fed the lie, and this is this is where I, I blame the media and irresponsible parenting for that matter. When you tell your children, when you tell your kids that the police are bad, when they stop you, it's going to go bad. And that's the only thing you tell them. Well, mm -hmm. shit, when that day comes and they get stopped, the first thing they're going to say is, well, I've always been told that the police are going to fucking kill me. So I'm already, you know, you're amped up now for that yeah. confrontation, even though it may not have come or should not have come. Right. So you open the door or the cop knocks on the door. And instead of saying, hey, officer, how are you doing? Sorry, you, you know, why are you stopping me? It's going to be what the fuck do you want? Well, game is on right now. You've just confirmed what the officer's perception was coming up to the card saying that this is going to be my 10th stop of assholes. And here you are confirming that. And all of a sudden it's tick, 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 tick. And up it goes. Right. And it, it takes a lot for that to come right back down. Right. You've been in those types of stops where once it starts to go, it's oh, yeah. tough to get to get that that. Uh, reality back to bring it back down especially if both sides don't uh, see the other person's well, view the other person's and, perception and the reality is whether it's right or wrong you know that could be another show it could be another topic but policemen are trained that they have to win yes. because if they lose two things are going to happen there'll be disrespect for law but probably more importantly they could be dead and they're not going to yeah. go home to take their kids to soccer so they go into it with the attitude that i have to control the situation so the other party says i've done nothing wrong why are you yeah. talking to me like that it amps up like you say i mean you know people i never understood when you stop a guy for a ticket and he's fighting you and, and, well i mean verbally fighting you and everything and he, he you know he, he calls you an a-hole and he's yeah. disrespectful and then you may get amped up and he gets amped up like do they ever think that I'm going to tell this guy to F off and he's going to say, okay, sorry, <laughs> you know, yeah. F off? Like, people don't think. Like, gangbangers in this city, most murders, gang-related murders, are young people, late teens, early 20s, okay? They take out a gun, buddy disrespected me, he wasn't nice to my girlfriend, bang, I'm going to shoot him, okay? Do they think that, okay, they're going to shoot buddy, you're going to go back, you're going to be a big man, and life's going to go on? <laughs> and you're not you're not gonna you know get arrested, go to jail, and and lose your life, like or somebody no else one, is gonna find him and track him down. Yeah, for the other guy. See, no one thinks it's true, and I think it's the world we live in, the world of uh, internet. You know, like when I was younger, because I'm so bloody old, and you sort of are also a little bit old. You would read a book for entertainment, okay? You would watch the news at 6 o'clock. It wasn't 24-7. You'd watch the news at 6 o'clock, and Harvey Kirk or Lloyd Robertson would give you the news, okay? And they wouldn't tell you their opinion. They would relate the facts. And then you would read a newspaper, and you'd read the New York Times or the Toronto Star, and you'd read a 2,000-word article, yep. and you really got into it. And the way we live right now is... It's a Facebook or an Instagram or a TikTok soundbite. It's something that um, CNN saying that breaking news, such and such has happened. But there's no insightful analysis. There's commentary, but there's no. We have forgot to be uh, how to be critical thinkers. And yeah. to your point, I don't think we can go back. I think this is an evolutionary phase. We're getting stupider and stupider, yep. and we're we're gravitating to our heroes either Tucker Carlson or Anderson Cooper or Jagmeet Singh and we, or, or Donald Trump. And we do whatever the hero says. The hero says the election was stolen. Uh, 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 Pence is a coward. Let's go hang Pence. Let's burn down the Capitol. And now that they're in jail, they have time to think. And they say, holy shit, what did I do? We got to think before we act, not yeah. after we act. No. Yeah, it's... Uh... I don't know what the answer is, but I just got, I, I got a, when you were saying those names, I just thought, just listen to the way we've done things that we, we used to talk about, like you said, the Toronto star or the Washington post, yeah. the New York times. And now what do we have? TikTok, Pinterest, <laughs> <laughs> like we've shortened even those handles because we yeah. want to make it so simple and so quick. We can't even read the long name anymore. Oh my and God. It, and it's amazing now. Cause I read an article, uh, 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 I forget where, but basically said more people get their news from TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram yeah. than from Reuters or from the New York Times or from, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, and again, you know, Fox and I dare say CNN aren't even news networks, okay? They are really mouthpieces for the left and the right. And you've got uh, uh, commentators. And a commentator's legitimate thing. You're, 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 uh, 
talking to your audience from your your red perspective. From your <laughs> exactly. perspective. That's right. A newscaster has no perspective. A newscaster, uh, a real newsman, is saying these are the facts that we know. Okay, his for maybe his perspective are the facts. A commentator is paid to give you his opinion, his perspective of the world. I like commentators. There's several commentators I follow and I like, but I critique them and I critically think and I say I agree or I I think you're full of it. A guy I really like in Toronto, a radio guy, Jerry Agar. I think mm -hmm. we both listen. Yep. He's a very controversial right of center guy, just like me. And uh, he says some really great things and some outlandish things. Yep. I like listening to him. And sometimes I say, right on, Jerry. And sometimes I think, what a knob. But that's what you're supposed to do, not just well, blindly fall. And, and the, the important thing is with, with guys like Jerry is that he's willing to take you on. Like he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't cut people off the air yeah. because they disagree with him. He has them on, and he has that engagement, and that's what a mature thinking yes. society should be doing. Right? Which we are Sharing not. those perspectives. No, we're not. We're going. Well, you just said it yourself. We are dumbing things down, and, and quite frankly, I, you know, it's another podcast, but I think we are intentionally dumbing things down for people to make them more stupid, more more lazy, more uh, complacent, so that basically, you know, big business can do whatever the heck they want, type thing, right? Like that's the way I see things going. And we used to be like that. If you go back to the, you know, we're going back into history, but at one time the masses were ignorant and they were ignorant for, and they were kept ignorant for a reason, right? Then the revolution, the Renaissance came through, we educated everybody, the industrial revolution, all these kinds of great things happened. But I think we're going back to keeping the masses ignorant. That's, well, our, you know, that's our goal. I, what are you, a conspiracy theorist? <laughs> I, you know, I, but I can sort of buy into that. And I think of the French Re Revolution where the people, the masses were hungry and they told the queen, Marie Antoinette, and they said the masses are hungry. And what did she say before they cut off her head? Let them eat cake. Let them, let them eat cake. You know, why? If they're hungry, eat cake. The point is she didn't red team. She didn't look at yeah. it from the perspective of the people that she was leading. She looked yeah. at it from her perspective and she got dethroned. I think you're right. I think, you know, again, not to be a conspiracy theorist, but it, 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 you know, who benefits if you've got a public that follows blindly like sheep, you know, yeah. big business? Like, listen, I'm, I am of mixed feelings of Donald Trump being muzzled by Facebook and Instagram and all these big you know, platforms. I think he was spouting ridiculous hate, and I don't yeah. think that should be allowed. But, you know, when you start policing free speech, it's really dangerous. Like yeah. Jerry Agar would say, he will crash and burn with his own ridiculousness. When you ban a guy off a platform, you legitimize that guy. Yeah. And, and although I don't subscribe to any of that stuff, listen, uh, Nazis, neo-Nazis, okay, I don't know that they should be banned. They should be exposed for the, 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 the maggots they are. They shouldn't be hidden. Shine a light on them. Yeah, and have the argument, have the discussion, and show people why they're frigging out there on the... When you put it in the closet, as you say, no one knows, and they're going to go on it. They want to open that thing. They want to know why is this off limits? Why are these guys not allowed to talk? It just attracts attention. So I agree with you. And actually, they talked about that today as well, Jerry, on Jerry's show. But the other thing that that I wanted to talk add to that specific point was this whole bill. Is it C twenty one? I think oh, is yes, the number yes. right. The, the, Where the government's going to tell you what you can do on on social media? I mean, talk about freaking communism. Where are we going, man? And people are welcoming that. You know, hey, let's bring it down. Bring it on. Bring it on. Let's talk about nanny state. Listen, the motives may be pure, okay? Like it may be, well, we want to protect people from this or that. But the reality is you're hurting more. Words don't hurt you. Actions do. Tell me that you hate Jews or you hate blacks or you hate Muslims. I think you're a despicable person. Yeah, so you deal with it. Hurt someone, hurt a Jew, a black, or a Muslim, that's different. Yep. You can't equate the two the same. One is a precursor. You keep an eye on them. You don't associate with those people. But I'd rather know who the yeah. white supremacist that, is that's exactly than it. not. That's exactly where, 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 where I was. I would agree with you. Absolutely. If, if you hate me because of who I am, at least I know. And I will deal with it. I will figure I can walk around you. I can ignore you. I, whatever it is, I'll figure it out. But at least I know. But by doing what the government's trying to do, first of all, it's impossible because your your what offends you is different from what offends me and what offends the next guy. So how do you police that? I don't know how they even start that. 
to begin with. But to, to suggest that they're going to protect you from that kind of stuff and keep it all hidden, to me, that's even more dangerous because I'm going to walk by you one day. You're going to hate the crap out of me. And just like this guy did, he's going to be in his freaking pickup truck. Hey, there's loose. You're going to rip it around and mow me down, right? And I would have no clue thanks to that, si that silo of silence that they want to create. You have to put it out in the open. You have to let people be aware of what the frig is going around in society. That way you can call them out. As to your point, you can call them out. That's the kind of shit we don't need in this world. And people will start joining in and, and eventually that kind of crap will go away. But hiding it is not the way to go. It's not the way to go. And quite honestly, you know what? Uh, uh, my, my enemy, if he's smiling at me, if he's nice to me, but he's still my enemy and he's going to stab me in the back, just like yeah. Brutus did to Julius Caesar. I'd rather know, as I'm sure Mr. Caesar right, rather know, and by the way, he's, his legacy has made a really good drink, a nice cocktail, <laughs> but I'd rather know who's trying to hurt me. Like, for example, you and I, we're friends. I trust you implicitly. For all I know, it could be a mask. You yeah. could be plotting to take my money, take my family, you, you know, like, you got to be honest. And I think if government truly wants to help people, teach people to be critical thinkers. Yes. Teach people not to take things at face value. I met with a client a while ago and did a proposal. And she said, well, you know, I probably should get some competitive quotes. And I said, well, yeah, that's okay. I mean, I don't want her to get competitive quotes. And then she asked me, well, who, who should I go to? Can you recommend someone? <laughs> and that was sort of an awkward moment, but I did. I recommended someone because I thought but my honesty hopefully will get me brownie points. And I also, because I'm a little bit cunning, I recommended some consultants to charge a lot of money, more than I do. So, <laughs> but, 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 you know, you've got to be upfront. People have, you, you know, so I could have lied to her. I could have said I don't know anyone, but she would have found someone perhaps yeah. did a bit of and then she would have gone to them because she'd say, how to claim and not know this type of thing? So you got to be honest. You know, WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get. I'd rather put it out there, know what you are, know that, you know, if I'm a gay man and you don't like gay people, I want to know that. Yeah. You, you know, I want to know that. And maybe then we could still be workmates, but we know what the boundaries are. And I'm not yeah. going to invite you to my house or something yeah. like that, but I want to know that. And on that note, we are past the hour uh and uh, so let's call, wrap it up because we are we're, we are along on this although i think it was good i, I like uh, these types of one-on-ones with you uh, just to as a final takeaway with uh, with our with our listeners uh, certainly on the business side of things the whole idea of red teaming and perspective make sure you you intentionally look at whatever it is you're you're talking about from the other side from the other side where people will be judging you how they will judge you what they may think and see if it aligns with what your uh, what your objectives are. You may try you may be uh, trying to achieve objective A, uh, but they're going to perceive it as an objective B, and that may not be up your what, what you what you want to achieve. And so you should be reassessing uh, the strategy. That's how I'm going to leave it, uh, Brian. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to you for, for for closing comments. Well, you know, as the sponsor of this podcast, Brian Clayman Associates Limited, uh, listed on NASDAQ and the Toronto Stock Exchange, I, I do, uh, we will be implementing a dress code effective the next podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. So, so, so uh, the angry man is a little bit angry and disappointed. <laughs> I do apologize to our listeners and viewers uh, for Mr. Cedroni, but uh, he will be talking to the HR folks after this broadcast. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm appealing to the perspective of the younger crowd, so that's why. <laughs> uh, and I'm trying to hit the over sixty crowd. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Till next time, we are going to have a guest on our next show, a very well known and and a, a accomplished uh, police officer, former police officer, now retired, working in the private sector. Uh, I don't know, Brian, if you want to mention his name, or we'll save it till sure. till he comes on. But uh, certainly looking forward to that conversation, and we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about uh, challenges in policing and how those challenges in policing can, or are spilling over to the security side. Chris Fernandez is going to be our guest. Chris is a former superintendent with Toronto Police. And he was a deputy chief of the Durham Regional Police. He now works for a real estate management company running a security program. He's got a great perspective. One of his jobs in Toronto Police was the gang unit, the Tavis unit. So it's really interesting to find a guy that worked on the other side and now is on our 
side on the public on the private sector he's doing the same things on the private sector side that he did on the public sector side but the tools and the laws are different so it should be a really interesting episode to hear his perspective he will tell you he's learned a lot coming over to our side and he's just a nice guy so I'm looking forward to next week yeah me too that should be a really good episode until then folks we will talk to you see ya take care everyone That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets.